Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and our Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Starting this recording on a Tuesday evening at 7.46 p.m. here in California, which means I am not on the way to Indianapolis to cover the Indy Open test. Unfortunately, uh, it is what it is, as our man Juan Montoya likes to say. Still fighting a pretty nasty flu or whatever it is that I got. Not COVID, thankfully, but my wife's dealing with it as well. Uh, we're dealing with some family issues and just all kinds of stuff. So ended up having to cancel the trip. $1,400 round trip flight from California to Indianapolis. What? On one really big and expensive airline? No. Southwest. Uh, I tell you, costs these days, they ain't cheap. Anyways, uh, love that we are uh, sitting down, finally able to do the show. And do appreciate you, everything that you have sent in, and all that we are about to dive into here for this little episode. Uh, what can I tell you? Lots of stuff going on. Oh boy, lots of stuff going on. The magical, mercurial, unicorn-esque 33rd entry for the Indianapolis 500. Here we are, Tuesday night, April 19th. According, let me grab my little clock here. According to my Indy 500 clock, we are 39 days, 14 hours, and 43 minutes away from the green flag for the Indy 500. And what, roughly 25 days or so away from the start of practice, uh, whatever the exact number is. We still don't have a 33rd entry, y'all. I know you got a couple questions about that or related to that, so I'll save that for what you sent in here. Um, silly season kicking off uh yet again popping off yet again uh had some conversations today and tonight about one driver in particular whose name i wonder if we're going to hear very soon in a press release uh from a team regarding signing a deal so and that driver is among a few whose fortunes i have been tracking but not quite ready to fire into a new silly season update but we're probably not too too far away uh all that stuff aside wanted to say a huge thank you to our man jim kaiser who puts together the questions for me every week also to y'all for the great questions that you send in that power the show and as always to cooper tires and the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com so been doing the shows about an hour a little less than an hour, maybe a minute or two over, and we're going to stick to that and keep sticking to that for the majority of everything we do going forward. So in the honor of our new shorter compactor, not a word, uh, Week in IndyCar listener Q&A shows, <clears throat> and knowing that my voice is almost gone, let's kick things off, get things rolling, a little music bed for you there. Going to open the show with Matty McDonald. How you doing, Matty? Really, uh, really happy that you are a member of our community here. Says, uh, hi, MP, and go, Beth, go. So excited to see Peretta Autosport are going to be back. You tell us a little bit more about how that deal came together than maybe was in the article. How likely is it, do you think, that a full-time program is possible next year? Also, kindly closes with all the best to you, your wife, Shabrell, the cats, etc. Want to work in reverse order here? 
I would be extremely surprised if we we're talking about a full time program next year, Maddie. Do I think we're talking six races? Maybe ten? Possibly. Know that Beth does not want to go backwards in terms of the amount of races she's uh, entering this year. Possibility here that it could be four, right? Could be four races. I think there's there's a goal, there's a desire of taking part in that end of season West Coast swing. Not exactly like it was last year, right? With Long Beach capping three straight weeks on the West Coast, but we do go from Portland to my home track at Laguna Seca. Could we see that third ECR entry with Simona in it uh, in that Pareto Autosport effort? Could we see her at Portland or at Laguna? Uh, I do believe that's what they're aiming for. Not confirmed in today's press release, Maddie, And that's because, again, they've got the three that they know they're going to do. And Beth being who she is... Uh, a high aspiration person, she's going to want to do more. So three for now, fingers crossed on four. A couple other things to mention here, Maddie, that maybe weren't in the article. I, well, by the way, I should mention who knows when you'll be listening to this, but Beth and I were meant to do a hashtag racing family show uh, on Twitter spaces tonight, but she's just, absolutely exhausted understandably so so we're going to do that wednesday morning ish i don't know exactly when but we're going to figure that out so if you're available uh check that out maddie because you might be able to ask her some more questions directly um know that she and ed carpenter hit it off a while ago i don't know exactly when but i think ed sees not just a racer in beth but also a businesswoman who should be respected who's also trying to do some big and important things in the sport. And knowing how much of a family man Ed happens to be, how much he just absolutely loves and supports his kids, his wife, Heather in particular, uh, I think of, not I shouldn't say of all the entrants, Maddie, in IndyCar, but of, of quite a few entrants. I think Ed is just honestly perfect person to align with Beth because his view in the world, uh, morals and, and just immense humanity. I think they, they match up well with who Beth is and where Beth is trying to go, respecting her as a full and sovereign person, not viewed maybe as some team owners might view her as a little bit of a sideshow token-esque uh oh hey it's you know the women's program well look this is a program that is absolutely centered on women but don't look at us as some sort of dog and pony show like (laughs) we're here to be as strong as any other entrant and so i think that's a, a good part of ed's character and personality to look at her and say yep uh full respect offered let's do some business together so uh, that's one angle. Another thing, too, I mean, there were pretty strong efforts to take part in the Indy 500. I'll see how much Beth wants to uncork on the racing family show, Maddie. I don't want to tell all of her business, but 
for those who don't know, she and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, helped her however I can, just friend to friend. Uh, more often than not, it's just lots and lots of phone calls, batting around ideas, advice back and forth about whatever. So had a feeling this was going to happen. Uh, had a confirmation this was going to happen a little while back, but she really did push immensely hard to be part of the Indy 500 with one or two entrants primarily. Uh, there's nothing in place with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing that would have made that possible this year. They already booked up with three cars. But let's just say that it was not for a lack of trying. All it took, uh, all it took was for someone to lease her a car. And I think we would be talking about the field of 33 being set. Um, and there were some options for others to maybe receive the team and run the team, uh, without Beth having to get a car and assemble everybody to run it effectively herself. There are a couple ways this could have happened, Maddie, and there are failures in every area, every single way sad but actually i think this ends up being the best because instead of putting everything into the indy 500 and then things going quiet uh, because all the money's been consumed i like the fact that they're going to have multiple hits multiple events to let the world know they exist hopefully more folks uh take part be inspired want to invest in the team sponsor etc Indy 500's huge. We know that. That's always going to be the biggest place to get that done. But I do love the idea of them going to Wisconsin, going to Ohio, going to Tennessee, maybe going to California, and building some routes in places uh, that have not seen the team, have not seen the initiative in person. I love that idea of what it could do for the future. Uh, why don't we go to <clears throat> Jerome Segua? Uh, it says, with the announcement of Peretta Autosports' involvement in three races this year, do they have a spare chassis, or will it come from ECR? Uh, Beth does not own a chassis, so the vehicle that will be used is indeed uh, one that belongs to ECR. Uh, why don't we go to Andrew Miller? says, do I remember you saying ECR wasn't the kind of team to be interested in a partnership, or am I mistaken? And was the money finally right for what Peretta brought to the table? Yet again, great questions. I seem to recall phrasing this in terms of ECR and having no interest in a partnership being related to the Indy 500 and a one-off thing. And I think McLaren, for example, before they uh, uh, aligned with uh, Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson. And I'm forgetting some of the other higher-ish profile Chevy-related teams that were talking about, oh, hey, we'd love to do a deal and, and be aligned with Carpenter. Ed's had <laughs> countless offers by, uh, from all kinds of folks to be a part of his team for the Indy 500. And he's turned them all down as far as I can remember. Uh, and that is... <clears throat> as he has said, why would I give knowledge and or crew or both or a car, whatever it is, why would I hand off a bunch of stuff to you to potentially beat me? 
Like, just because you're going to give me some money? Like, if you know me, <laughs> you know that my face on the Borg Warner Trophy uh, is never going to be uh, bought away or anything else is going to have a higher value to me than that. So I think it was just more along the lines of why would we align with you, do a technical alliance, whatever it might be, to weaken ourselves in the Indy 500. Um, you then look at someone like a Jared Hildebrand, who's had sponsorship to bring and has been slotted into that third car. Danica Patrick slotted into that third car. So just a bit of a difference, Andrew, between, hey, you're good at the 500. Can we give you some money to make us good? And Ed going, no, it's not what I'm about. Versus, oh, you're going to become a part of the team? Yes, that is a partnership, a true partnership, an alliance that does work. So that, I would say, is is the real deciding factor here. Uh, the fact that Beth, Simona, all of the women racers, a part of the Peretta Autosport team, are going to be under the Ed Carpenter Racing Tent Um that's the thing that makes this different for ed as for the money i have no idea what the dollars are or aren't but ed wouldn't do this if the finances were wrong and the car would be jeopardized in terms of the ability to compete nor would beth so definite strong assumption here that everything on this topic is decent and in order i'm going to drink a little something to try and smooth my voice out we're going to close on this opening thread uh with brian hartzell and brian says fantastic to hear simona and preda are going to be running a couple of races even more excited that i'll get to see them at road america i hope i get to see them there with you as well brian so my question is last that i can recall simona was a factory porsche driver running in the adac gt3 series in europe do you know she is still a factory driver um and you say, if not, does it open the door for Simona to run full-time in IndyCar in the future? She is indeed a uh, ongoing and continuing Porsche factory driver. Would say that this decision would come down to her and Porsche. Uh, not knowing the length of her contract, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if Beth happens to find the money for Simona to be full-time or half-time or something significant... Uh, would she want to remain with Porsche? Would they say, hey, this number of races, that's good with us. But if it's going to be above that number, maybe not. Uh, you need to decide whether you want to stay or go do that. Again, all, uh, all things to figure out. But I would say if she is in that position, that means some good things are happening for Beth and some good sponsorship is in place to lead Simona to need to figure out what she wants to do. Purely guessing, <laughs> uh, if it's a really good IndyCar ride, my bet would be on the awesome uh, Miss D. Silvestro coming back where she belongs. Uh, Thomas Smets, how you doing, Thomas? Marshall, first-time questioner for this show, coming out here of, from Belgium. So I heard the racing family episode after Long Beach. Great concept, by the way. And I was surprised that your co-host Chris Wheeler had to pay to get into the stands. Doesn't he get perks because he's with the team? So speaking from experience at the spa circuit, where you can find members of the team all around the track 
uh, when I'm taking pictures. Says, my best to you, your wife, and my favorite Radio Rebel cats. Yeah, uh, it's a bit abnormal. Long Beach is, is a different creature. So, yes, some of the best high-up vantage points where spotters would want to work happen to be the photo towers where Long Beach sells tickets for whatever that is, a couple hundred bucks, to allow just fans with decent-sized cameras to go and take some good photos similar in very similar positions to where the pros get to shoot. So, yeah, Long Beach, bit of a wacky thing, Thomas. I remember a long time ago, would have been early 90s, while there as a crew member in, I think, Atlantic Series. I don't know if I was doing Indie Lights then, but I bought the same thing. And it was because, hey, our Atlantic series, we are on usually <laughs> we're the track sweeper in the morning, and then we dust it off at night. And, you know, you get the really, uh, you don't matter, you're unimportant to us, you're a feeder series type treatment on the schedule. And so we just have, honestly, tons of nothing to do. I mean, you can only prepare the car so much <laughs> after you run. And so if you've got the thing ready to go, and you've got hours to go until your next session, I would, uh, yeah, pay for that photo access thing and then go and try and shoot and have some fun. So that's why, although I haven't had a chance to post a ton of them, uh, I do have some decent archives from early 2000s, I'm sorry, early 1990s at Long Beach because, yeah, uh, had camera, loved shooting, had spare time, didn't have much money, but decided it was worth buying that same exact ticket uh, Chris is talking about. So we're going to move on to Ben Cohen. How you doing, Ben? MP, hope you and your lovely wife and the felines are doing well. Well, my wife and I are a little under the weather here, but uh, the cats, they're uh, sleeping and just having a marvelous time. Uh, you say weather is again looking iffy for Indy this week. What can the teams gain by being on track in conditions that most likely will not simulate late May conditions? Uh, he's <clears throat> closed by saying also any update in your May travel plans to IMS. Looking forward to hopefully seeing you next month. Well, look forward to that as well, Ben. Uh, I have booked travel. I've gotten blessing from my wife to go out uh, to start covering the road course race all the way through the Indianapolis 500. So will I fly back after qualifying for a couple of days? Um, possibly. Uh, will I stay out? I don't know. We'll have to see. But yeah, got the green light. So I'm heading out there for a good long while. And uh, travel is 100% booked. So happy, 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 happy. Uh, yeah, same thought and question here, Ben. Uh, I spoke with someone who is going to be running a team at the test. And they said, yeah, weather is indeed looking not just iffy, but could have rain coming in, could have cooler conditions than we want. Here's what I can tell you. Think of it as practice. Not so much testing, but practice. Hey, most of us haven't done this on this big, crazy, scary track for a while. Some of us have rookies. Some of us have sophomores who need refreshers. Some of us have whatever it is. We're going to go practice for a couple days. Even if the data we gather 
does not end up being massively useful, say when we get to uh, opening practice and whatnot in the month of May that, you know, ambient temperatures are 30 degrees up. And if it's cool and not humid uh, this week, let's say it's super humid uh, when cars are practicing. going to be a lot of things they're needing to learn. They probably will not have uh, captured during this two days of the open test. But nonetheless, and there's some other benefits here. Think about some of the teams who might be a new driver in a car, might be a new engineer with a familiar driver. They've done a couple of street courses, done the Texas Oval, but haven't worked at a place like Indy that is so unique, so specific, unlike any other track. It's a good opportunity for that relationship to develop in this new uh, capacity could be crew members could be whatever it is hey uh you've probably never done a a practice uh pit stop here so you know it's not going to be a hot hot crazy pit stop but let's just get used to the size of the pit box and how cars roll in and out just lots of stuff you can look at lots of things that you can use to tune your team up that aren't necessarily about setting lap records at 247 miles an hour whatever it might be ben so there's value to be gained, uh, value to be had, I should say. They'll learn stuff for sure. Is it going to be something that translates perfectly to May? Yeah, again, probably not, but they'll be able to find some directions. Uh, tires, I'm told, by our pal Kara Adams, now Kara Kristolich. Uh, she tells me same exact tires as used last year right same everything just brand new production run so uh new tires but new tires same compound construction as 2021 so in theory there should be almost nothing to learn about the tires uh and how they perform they'll just need to figure out the balance of the vehicles and deal with whatever the uh, ambient conditions offer since the air the humidity, the everything that they deal with, the ambient conditions have such a massive effect on vehicle performance unlike any other place that we go. So, again, to your point and great point, this isn't going to be something that we expect the teams to just whip out their uh, set-down sheet from Wednesday or Thursday at the open test, apply that to the car, start of open practice, and have the thing just be dead perfect. So not necessarily expecting that, but there's still plenty to learn. Um, Michael Hipskin. Hey, Michael, you say, other than who's going to be fastest, what should we be watching for during this week's Indy Open Test that will give us fans some clues to how the teams and drivers will perform in May? <sighs> With everything I just said in answer to Ben's question, I don't know if there's a ton. Always questions as to whether Chevy and Honda crank up all the power that they have in the open test. That'd be the main thing I'll be watching for indications of engine performance and keep in mind, Michael, that there's a lot of data that teams have access to. It's a little bit hard to hide your true performance. It's not impossible, but the classic deal of 
all right, I want you to give me an amazing run through turn one and turn two, but uh, do not complete the lap at full speed because we don't want to put that lap speed out and up in front of folks. All right, well, that's a way to uh, dial things back a little bit. So maybe in turn one and turn two, the car has amazing performance and is going a zillion miles an hour. Back off, lift a tiny little bit in three and then four, and hey, your lap speed doesn't stand out. Granted, you start taking a look at sector data, and you can see, well, hmm. Granted, you really do want to, you really do have to pour through things if you're doing it manually, but you know, you'll find some outliers. You're not going to see this during the test, brother. Uh, you're, you, it's very unlikely you're going to see something that jumps out on the screen to go, whoa, look at that, uh, in terms of individual performance in one or two corners. But post test, end of day, being able to look at sector times, go, huh, uh, that's pretty darn good here and a little bit off there. And I wonder, was the car just better in one section of the track? Who knows if it was a crosswind or, or something to cause that? Or was that uh, masking of ultimate potential? Yeah. Depending on who it is, that also helps to answer the question, right? If it's someone that we know has no real hope of, of being a winner or a front runner, you can assume that they're not hiding much. Uh, if it is someone that we would consider to be a front runner, got a question as to whether that's a, a true representation of what the car did. But psh, trends, let's look and see how teams do, right? Let's see how Penske didn't have a great 2021 by any means. What do they have coming back here? Are they going to show everything? I don't know, but let's take a look. They wouldn't waste two days and intentionally not find out how the car performs um, just to try and hide something. You got to find out you have something to hide, first of all. <laughs> that's the uh, <coughs> that's the catch-22. Uh, everyone believes they have something good, but you do have to go and try hard, feel it, let the numbers verify that yep that's a big mile per hour that's a big whatever it is and again maybe you don't complete the lap don't show all of it uh and give all that away but i think there's going to be a pretty strong understanding about how teams uh, are feeling coming out of the event is penske back on track uh whereas ganassi right andretti obviously ray hall that's the thing i'm probably going to be uh, trying to track more than anything michael trends among teams and are we talking about a united front where it looks like all three from this team or all four or whatever five from that team are rocking and rolling or do we see one driver that seems to really be switched on and the others are, are scratching their head trying to find things who has it who doesn't who's lost who's maybe hiding some stuff which engine manufacturer might have something better that they uh, didn't have last year. We're not going to see all that at the open test, but maybe we'll spot a few trends, Michael. So somewhere in there, uh, that's what I'd be looking for. We go to uh, James Malloy. You ask, when is IndyCar going to follow, follow the lead of its adversaries at NASCAR and F1? Take a chance with something new or something exciting. IndyCar is a fantastic product and series. It doesn't bother taking chances on itself and trying things like 
schedule expansion, new chassis, etc. It just feels like IndyCar will fall further behind due to their lack of willingness to expand or innovate in any way. Yes, I understand there are constraints, but at some point you got to take a leap of faith. Oh, brother James, I do not disagree. I think I wrote about this in response to a question from someone in the racer mailbag recently, um, talking about imagination, uh, something that IndyCar seems to lack a little bit, if not a lot, a bit. You mentioned constraints. That's the one big area that we can't underplay. We can't bury the lead on that specific topic. I'll keep this short because I've written about it multiple times, and I don't want to, for those who read my nonsense, in addition to listening to my nonsense, um, I don't want to repeat all that. But one of the hard things that needs to be done is to divorce Roger Penske's wealth and success in business and the fortune he has amassed, the billions uh, that are generated, have been generated by his businesses and the budget that is made available to the NTT IndyCar Series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway by its new owners. Roger having bazillions of dollars does not equate to IndyCar and IMS having access to those bazillions. Million percent. Not the case of Roger's money being IndyCar's money. That's important to know because, boy, do we have the ability for a really strange narrative to build. Wait a minute. This guy bought this, rumored hundreds of millions of dollars investment, and he's got zillions and trillions. So shouldn't we be expanding the schedule and going to 20 races a year, 22, get new chassis going, uh, <clears throat> just name all the stuff. It's like, hey, that's big impact and amazing and awesome. We should. No argument, no question. We absolutely should. Here's the unfortunate three-letter word, but. <laughs> but the budget that is made available via Penske Entertainment is not big and crazy and expansive. The number that I've heard, and I can't tell you if it's accurate, just sharing a number that I've heard multiple times from people that I would say are, are not jokers, heard something in the range of $20 million a year is being lost. So I don't know all the tax laws, and you can write this off, and it's all a wash, and it isn't really a loss. And again, I don't know any, I don't know any of that stuff. But just saying, if that's, accurate in any way even if it's half of that 10 million even if it's 1 million even if it's a dollar <laughs> roger penske is not accustomed to <clears throat> things lacking profit roger penske is not accustomed to things being a loser financially or competitively so if we're talking about buying a track buying a series and 
more money going out than what's coming in. That's just a big, big thing that we need to accept, James. F1, I mean, they're drowning in cash. TV contracts, sanction fees, sponsor advertisements, you name it. NASCAR, I don't want to say that they're drowning in money, but look, by comparison to IndyCar, they are flush with cash. This is the hard thing to grasp, not grasp, the hard thing to swallow. Wait a minute, isn't IndyCar kind of right up there, right? Big top tier series. Uh, been around forever, had some amazing days where it was the most popular racing series in the country for decades and decades and decades, right? All true. It's just the amount of money being made available is not one where the series is able to go and do big, grandiose things. That's where finding partners who might want to help do this. This is where the Nashville event, for example, whole you know big machine group there like their enthusiastic support and willingness to invest serious money making this race happen marketing and promoting the heck out of it right that's why that exists not because indycar is throwing crazy amounts of money to make that happen it's an external party that has said hey let's have a big freaking party and they've put in and they luckily have a ton of money and they're letting that be seen and felt so I'm not saying IndyCar is broke, but I am telling you that they run lean. They run genuinely lean. I see it from the inside. Um, there ain't as many people around as there once were. And uh, if we also look at the one other aspect here, James, we can't ignore. It's this. When Roger had... Insane amounts of money coming in from Marlboro and whatever other sponsors and commissioned the beast, that 1994 stock block, 209 cubic inch turbocharged V8 engine that molly whopped the Indy 500, right? Unfair advantage like we've never seen. Did that, made that investment because tons of money there to do it, but also there was a massive advantage to be reaped it was reaped won the race blew everybody out of the water amazing amazing we'll never forget it that's an outlier though uh roger and doing something big exciting super showy and grandiose just being honest here that's not the roger penske story it is rock solid it is infrastructure. It is polish and presentation. It is mastering the basics to the point of those basics, those fundamentals being aced time and time and time again. So you win a hundred thousand Indy 500s and championships and right kill them with masterful execution. That's the Roger Penske story. That's his organization. These are not folks who are going out in the middle of the desert. They're not taking a, a riding in their VW bus out to the Joshua tree and taking peyote and staring up at the stars and having magical 
kaleidoscope dreams of all the things that could be done and having their spirit animals speak to them about all the places that IndyCar should go and do and come back to civilization saying, I've had revelations, I've seen the light, I've touched the stars, and this is where we're taking IndyCar. Like, that's not them at all. This is the most buttoned-down, ironing our socks in the morning type group you're ever going to meet. And from a business standpoint, woo, cold, efficient, masterful, dominant, amazing. Bunch of free thinkers, big think tank, uh, folks lounging around on beanbags, spitballing ideas. That's not the culture, James. Uh, you Again, I know you know that, but this is just where you talk about constraints and limitations. The money side is one that we cannot underplay. Uh, it's real. But also, the dreamers. Um, I don't know how that culture is modified, but we do kind of need some sort of chief dreamer uh, executive I don't know what that is, but you can hire someone to do that, come up with big, crazy, amazing ideas. Will those be listened to? Will anything that isn't really close to being buttoned up and like ironed socks, will that be listened to? I don't know, but that's the area where I have a, have concerns. Let's say IndyCar starts making a ton of money. It's teams receive a lot more money they have the ability to pay to go to these extra races right because keep in mind you can set the schedule at 40 races doesn't mean the teams have the budget to go to more than 15 right (laughs) um there there has to be prosperity within the teams as well here james um if there were prosperity with the series and the teams we'd have the possibility for more but i just don't know if there's still that kind of big visionary presence within the series say okay we are going to do a night race in chicago we are going to do uh we're gonna race on an island we're the hawaiian super pre it's finally gonna happen i don't know but just something where you go whoa other than nashville I can think of nothing in the past couple of years, and this is before Roger bought the series. I can think of nothing in the last couple of years, maybe even longer, where I think anyone would go, whoa, IndyCar, look at that. Hey, cool. I'm not talking about, hey, we put aero screens on the car, we change the bodywork and make it prettier. I'm not talking that. I'm just saying, like, whoa, impact. Aha. So I'm with you. Uh, I just don't know how this gets fixed. Uh, Andrew Miller say is quote, encouraging the Hunkos Hollinger team to run a 33rd entry, basically hazing the lowest guy on the owner totem pole. <laughs> ah, I love your question, Andrew. Seriously. This is so well written. Uh, let's see. Should I tell you? Yeah, I'll tell you everything. Whatever. Um, I forget exactly where we were. It's a 20, 
I don't remember when. Was it late 2016, early 2017? I truly don't remember. All I know is Ricardo Junkos and I were somewhere. And I don't know if he had, I think he had bought the KV cars, the KV racing cars. So we had two, I think at least two, maybe three, whatever it is, Delarty W12s and had a desire to enter the IndyCar series and do something. Had some drivers who were kind of interested. Uh, that ended up being what Kyle Kaiser and Spencer Piggott, I think. Um, just didn't have all the money to get there. And this is very much a time, uh, very much a time where in the pre-Roger ownership days, um, IndyCar was more willing to reach into their pocket and help specifically for the Indy 500. Um, So we've seen sometimes there's been somewhat short and compact entry lists. Sometimes they've been a little more expansive, but just during a time here, it was Saavedra, I apologize, not not Kyle Kaiser to open in 2017 at Indy, but Saavedra. Um, Ricky had bought the XKV cars, wanted to, being the ambitious guy that he is, not just enter one car at the Indy 500 to make his IndyCar series debut, but both, and so he did. Wasn't all the money there to do that, though. And so while I forget the exact place, it might have even been by phone. I don't know. But being a road to Indy guy who still didn't really know IndyCar that much, I said, hey, uh, call the series, talk to Jay Fry, Explain to him that you're real and serious. You've got XKV cars. Got a good kid in Spencer Piggott, obviously. Uh, Saavedra, good kid as well. Um, you just need some help. And just phrase it that way. I wouldn't call and say, hey, can you give me some money? Just mention that you need some help to, to get everything done. And so, and keep in mind, IndyCar slash, I mean, I'm mentioning Jay's name, but he's the president. So it's not like Jay was doing side deals as an individual. I'm just saying that as a guy who's in charge of running IndyCar, that'd be the person you'd naturally go to, to ask. So none of what I'm mentioning is top secret. I think this is fairly well known. I've written about it. Others have written about it that, Hey, there've been times where, uh, there's been a need to help and make sure that the field is full. Uh, IndyCar has stepped in. So, this being the case, Ricardo called. Uh, help was given. Uh, I'll, I'll refrain from mentioning the exact dollar amount that I heard, but it's a was a real dollar amount. And Hunkos Racing makes its debut at the Indy 500. Two cars, off they go. You could say, very very fairly, that without Indy cars help we might not see Hunkos hauling or racing today. So if we're talking about a team that is known to have multiple cars not being entered in the Indy 500, sitting in the shop, one where also some help uh, was given back in the day to get them going at the Indy 500, uh, if I am the president of IndyCar and I'm needing to fill that 33, third slot this is the team that comes to mind to go hey remember when we took care of you okay you know 
it was never done as a, you're going to owe us one day in return kind of thing. But when you were in need, we stepped up and helped you here. You are congratulations on the new partner and the success you're having. We need you to do something you don't really want to do, uh, to help us. And that is break out one of those cars. You're not planning on running, get that 33rd entry handled. We're all good. So, uh, would not say it's hazing would actually say it's, uh, a bit of, of paying it back, paying it forward, paying it something. Uh, let's see. Caleb Whistler. How you doing? Caleb says it's been a month and a half or so since the IndyCar fan survey results were released. Uh, where's IndyCar in the process of applying what they learned to its marketing, digital and communication efforts. I don't know. Uh, but I can tell you this, um, whatever they have gathered from that, whatever might be applied and, and used to tune and tweak some of the things they are doing this year. Um, that's all I would really expect Caleb because a full marketing plan, promotional plan, digital communications, you name it was crafted during the off season greenlit a budget put behind it uh, assets created images whatever it might be video clips just whatever whatever ad buys here and there whatever's come in here from this survey that they believe tells them informs them in bigger ways that can be applied bigger picture i would expect those uh, effects to be seen next year again the timing of it coming in certainly We've seen some of the effects they've already known. Hey, <laughs> Romain Groschon, most popular driver in IndyCar. Guess what? You are never going to see a shortage of Romain Groschon content uh, via IndyCar, right? Whether it's their social media outlets, whatever it is, just know there's going to be a heavy servicing of Romain Groschon content. Uh, Pato Ward, I think, was second. The McLaren team was, you know, right up there. These are all things that are really easy if they hadn't known them before to adjust on the fly. Some of the bigger things uh, that would definitely be built into next year's uh, plans. Uh, where are we going here? We got our last handful of questions. Uh, Casey Kirkstra says with the open test this week, got to wondering is IndyCar issued any instructions to teams regarding brake setups this year. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will be writing about that here soon. Uh, the pullback brakes, which are prohibited, uh, by IndyCar, but were used nonetheless last year. Um, yeah, I am planning on getting a stronger on the record, uh, answer to this Casey because it certainly deserves a hard follow-up. Um, let's just say that the drivers who you saw flying onto pit lane last year, uh, who crashed, who were a zillion miles an hour, miles an hour over pit lane speed limit, etc., just know that the, those drivers didn't forget how to brake, nor did they forget what the speed limit was any of the big whoa 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 type scenarios coming into pit lane 100 percent due to those teams uh doing the pullback break routine so yeah uh stay tuned 
little story to follow. Uh, Keith Lee says, in light of this past weekend's events with Jimmy Johnson's accident that fractured his right hand, I recall a tech video that Jan Bigas did that IndyCar was working on a mechanism in the steering rack that would prevent the massive snap that occurs when hitting a wall. Uh, which in turn would save the driver from injuring their hand. Whatever happened to that project? Uh, don't believe it went any farther than the test phase. Um, I believe, Keith, the origination for it was more of the wheel-to-wheel contact and maybe hitting curbs crazy hard and it uh, sending big shocks and jolts through the steering wheel uh but i I seem to recall it was more wheel to wheel contact that would cause the instantaneous whipping of the steering wheel um and then cause some wrist injuries what happened with jimmy i wrote about in the mailbag last week the week before whatever it was i've had the same exact thing happen to the same exact hand in a identical crash in an open wheel car uh, mine was at sears point his was at long beach but uh, going nose first at a high rate of speed into the barriers and trying to save it trying to prevent whatever it is that your mind tells you you can fix and prevent uh, but you really can't uh, fighting the thing trying to save it as much as you can but forgetting to get both hands off the wheel before those front wheels hit steering rack gets cranked in whichever direction it's going to go and uh yeah i've had that same thing happen fractured my right wrist in a qualifying accident of strictly of my own stupidity and making in a formula ford um went flying up the hill turn two crashed and by chance uh hit the end of the tire barriers so the right side of my hashtag front nose on my formula ford and the right side uh tire hit the tire barrier uh, the left side of the car pivoted around uh, pivoted to the left and went into the earth embankment because again i managed to nail the end of the tire barrier with the dead center of the car and so had i just gone straight in uh, and there were tires extending out a few more feet, I actually wouldn't have really needed to take my hands off the wheel because went straight in, wasn't at an angle. But since there was nothing there to stop the left side of the car, uh, there was a big whipping force of the uh, right tire going into the barrier and the, the vehicle pivoting to the right. I got my left hand off, which is good because I'm left-handed. Didn't get my right hand off. And it torqued and spun and fractured bones on the inside of my right wrist. There's some sort of hollow bone where I guess the main tendon that uh, controls your thumb goes through. And so I learned months later that I fractured this and it set poorly. And so I've had some issues there for 30 plus years. But uh, at the time, I just thought that I sprained my wrist. So did the trackside doctor or guy in the ambulance gave me a little light wrist, uh, Velcro wrist splint or whatever. And that was that. So I mention all this because what happened going into the tire barriers is what's supposed to happen. Um, I don't know of any real mechanism you could throw in there to know to 
slow the wheels from pivoting drastically one direction or the other because you have an object forcing them into that direction. Um, so, yeah, at least from what I recall, it did not, that damper did not do what they had hoped, but this was just a mistake of Jimmy not getting his hands, both hands off the wheel in time. Uh, and I sure can't be mad at him cause I'd done the same thing. Uh, Zach Dean says IMS museum fixing up and running some old Indy cars before the 500 is such a fantastic idea. Says, do you think Mario would drive his 1969 winner or quote or, or insert driver name will drive insert year winner here? Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty common thing, Zach, uh, where whatever, uh, if the track or the museum is celebrating something, whatever, it could be a driver, it could be a type of car, it could be an era, it could be whatever, totally normal for those cars to be wheeled out uh on the uh exit lane uh coming out of pit lane turn one and yeah they tend to do that i think for most years for quite a while now and fire those up and have exactly that the person who maybe won the race in whatever car from whatever year or a family member if that person's passed on or whatever so i believe roadsters are the uh, the featured thing this year I look at them and think some of them are pretty. They've never super held my interest just because they're pretty darn basic and it's kind of the, the low buck post-war formula. And again, it's perfect for the times, everything they needed, just uh, never done a ton for me. So I don't know how hardcore I'm going to get into that. But yeah, uh, I would say definitely, Zach. Uh, good to meet you at Long Beach, by the way. Uh, and your family there. But yeah, um, keep an eye out because I'm sure this same tradition will happen. Uh, we got two to go. Uh, Fleetwood Mark says, MP, your tweet earlier in the week about the RRDC dinner uh, presided by Bobby Rahal. I reminded me of a quick handshake we had at Portland three years ago. Says he crushed my hand. And it was all I could do to not drop to my knees and beg mercy. Uh, subsequently saw him with a cane at IMS and learned of his long growing back problems. You say, did his surgery pan out? Was he moving better? Got me to wondering what long-term physical problems open wheel drivers face, not accident related, just driving a violent machine like that for years. Uh, yeah, Bob's doing great. Uh, walking normally, um, no issues. So everything he hoped for, uh, has happened. The, the physical stuff, Feet take a pounding, knees take a pounding, wrists take a pounding, uh, ears, right? Current cars aren't the loudest things ever. Certainly a lot of the older drivers, though, back in the really loud and uncorked eras, uh, hearing problem for sure uh, is something that is not uncommon, but mostly joints that get beaten up. And I know you said not crash-related, but keep in mind it's very rare um, for quality drivers to go throughout an entire career without having some major shunts and, you know, uh, a lot of drivers need to try and tune themselves up to get into the car and do their jobs, uh, later in, uh, their careers as a result. You know, I know Dario had before his big crazy crash at, at Houston, I know, you know, I don't want to say it was icy hot necessarily, but some heat 
patches on his back and you know need to do this and need to do that and you know, i think of uh old football players in their final years where you see photos of them in the locker room or on the sidelines or whatever and seemingly half of their body is wrapped up about five plies thick and tape because you know hey this doesn't flex very well anymore and if it bends too much it might break off so tape that up and you know just everything got to keep everything locked down because it might uh might go wrong if it doesn't i think of that a little bit with some uh, older drivers but granted these days you know the will powers and the dixons and whatnot they'll have taken such great care of themselves that you know maybe uh they're they're meant for longer mileage than some of their predecessors why don't we go to a final question here uh from our pal Jerry Robert Sudduth, hope I get to see A, hope I get to go to Mid-Ohio this year, and if so, hope I get to see you again, Jerry. It's been a little while. So this question will surely be out of left field, but that's where I tend to hang out. Same here, pal. So I was looking at the 1989 Hungness yearbook, and I started thinking about Raul Boisel. That's right, Brazil's finest EDM DJ. Where do you rate him among the drivers, IndyCar drivers who never got a win? I thought he was pretty good, just not the luckiest driver. What say you? Yeah, he, he certainly was a charger. The guy, you know, I don't remember how many poles he had, but, you know, wasn't many. Never, except for the odd occasion with Dick Simon. Dick Simon's team was always underrated. Uh, but except for rare occasion with Dick Simon, you know, you never got to see him in anything that we would say, whoa, look at that Penske car, Newman Haas type car. Uh, the v- we know that team and that vehicle are pole ready and win ready, uh, and yet the guy seemingly there far more than he should have been running up front, mostly big ovals as I recall with Boisel. Uh, that guy again, crafty. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of Boisel. It's huh? He's running fourth. <laughs> what you like? You know, that should be 10th or 12th, but there he is. You get to another race, and you're like, he's third? What is going on? I always appreciated that about him. <clears throat> Does that mean that dropping him into one of those bigger teams would turn him into a champion? I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, definitely seems like he should have had multiple wins. You know, he had motors blow at inopportune times when a win was certainly a possibility, but just... If I had to find a modern parallel, if I had to uh, name a, a current IndyCar driver that maybe falls into the vein of Raul Boisel, who would I pick? Granted, I'm not going to say they also have to be winless, but put him in in a bit of a uh, little bit of a Takuma Sato type place. Takuma obviously, you know, had a lot of crashes in his career, but he's also had a really amazing ability to be third or fourth, or sixth <clears throat> at a race or within a team where you go, yeah, that's more more than what you should be able to do. And so again, forget the Indy 500 wins and forget the the, the reputation of of hitting too many walls. Uh, Sato's also one of those great, wow. <laughs> you you've had a number of finishes over the years for some teams that 
really don't concern the leaders in the series. Nonetheless, you have performed at a higher level than you should have today at this track at whatever the discipline might have been. So, yeah, I always had uh, time for Raul. Uh, not like I know him well. Interviewed him a couple years ago about something. I forget what it was. And he was just his usual charming self. Uh, but, yeah, um, thanks for the question, man. Uh, left field, outfield, crazy places. I live there all the time, Jerry. So never hesitate to send in something uh, in that line of questioning. I'm going to say farewell to y'all here. Yet again, I've forgotten to mention that if you're looking for some new friends, you want to join a racing family, uh, the Day, the listener group that is assembled around the show, but also a lot of their own interests. Um, really good people. Uh, truly, truly fine men and women and folks of all colors, origins, faiths, orientation just everything the the full full uh menu of awesome people uh if you want to join them you want to be part of a group it's a i guess bit of a private group right it's not uh, something done in public necessarily but if you want to join uh, i think they're on discord mostly but lots of texting lots of chatting type stuff uh not necessarily facetime and or zooming but just uh, some pretty cool threads. If you want to join them, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. And uh, someone there will get back to you in a couple of days and invite you to join. So uh, would thoroughly encourage that. If you're just looking to make more friends in racing, uh, maybe you're that, quote, weird member of the family who loves racing and nobody else does, or nobody else in your school or nobody else in your block, or whatever. Uh, or maybe you have lots of friends who do, but you just want some more. Seriously, it's just a really good group of folks, uh, and I thoroughly enjoy um, all those who I get to connect with there. So, prudayrocks at gmail.com. If you get a chance, pay a visit to marshallpruittpodcast.com. Uh, what are we at? I don't know. We're not too far away from 1,300 podcasts so far. Still need to add a bunch of new stickers to the merchandise page, but... I've put up half of them. If any of them interest you, please buy some. They help my wife and I. And other than that, I'm going to say a big thank you to your great questions, to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. And I look forward to speaking to y'all next week. <laughs>